Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Mischief Makers, your one-stop shop for all things mischief. Join your host, Dave Hearn, as he finds out what makes mischief, well, mischief. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mischief Makers with me, Dave Hearn. Uh, I said that in a very weird way. I said that was quite sinister. Um, me, Dave Hearn. Uh, it's been a while, uh, but obviously if you're listening to, I've just realised if you're listening to this for the first time, it's not been a while at all, it's just your first one, so welcome. Uh, I am very excited today, as you may hear in my voice, because I am doing two wonderful things. The first one is I'm uh, my guest today I'm interviewing from an actual studio, so he's sat like two feet away from me, which is really exciting. And the second thing is I'm interviewing stunt coordinator, author, and world record holder, Curtis Rivers. Uh, Curtis has done a lot of uh, mad stuff in his career, and we're going to talk about some of that today. And uh, also worked with us uh, as stunt coordinator on The Goes Wrong Show. So, hello, Curtis. Hello. Lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, So we tend to do this interview in uh, sections. So the first section is called Getting to Know You. So we're going to get to know you, Curtis Rivers. So firstly, can you tell us a bit about how you got into becoming, because you were a stuntman before a stunt coordinator, right? That's right, yeah. So how did you kind of get into that? So I was the the little kid people left out at school who <laughs> wanted to be a stuntman when I was a little boy. Like, <laughs> and I was a really unsporty kid, uh, really nerd-like. I wasn't really athletic, but I rode away to equity as a little kid uh, when I was 11. Oh, and I've wow. got the reply framed in my office where they gave a big list of all these different sports skills I'd need to become a professional actor first and then have to do loads of these different skills to like black belt level oh wow so I sort of thought oh well I'm not very sporty that's that (laughs) Um, but then I took up acting amateur dramatics became a professional actor later on and while acting and trained in all these different skills to black belt level and uh, qualified in my 20s so are you a sort of lethal weapon what what are you a black belt in um Quite a few different bits and bobs. Oh, wow. I did judo for the, the stunt register, mm. uh, which is the governing body of stunts in the UK. Uh, and then later I did taekwondo and tang sudo and a bit of jiu-jitsu and that kind of thing. Oh, wow. So you're like, 
that scene in the Matrix where they upload all of the martial arts into you. That's just you. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. But it took about seven years of uploading. That's the only difference. To the Matrix. <laughs> and so do you do it? Do you have to do it at a professional level or a semi-professional level? Yeah, there's, there's six basic skills you need. I did 10 in the end and they're all to instructor standard. So oh, wow. equivalent to black belts. If you're taking up horse riding, you've got to be competition standard, successful competition experience in wow. show jumping, that kind of thing. So is it quite? It's quite a long road then to become. Is that just to get on the register, or? Yeah, that's just to become uh, a probationary stuntman, and then you need a minimum of three years on the job training. Usually takes oh. about five. It took me fifteen years altogether to get from off the street to stunt coordinate. Wow, I love the idea of you just being on the street yeah. doing jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so then, when you so you 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 do these things, and so what are the other disciplines? So you've got martial arts. I mean, you don't have to go through them all, but you say horse riding. Yeah, they've got to drop into different areas so they can't all be fighting. So one must be fighting, at least one. I did fencing, I became a fencing instructor. Wow. Uh, horse riding, and there's things like skydiving, hang gliding, uh, trampolining, you know, power boating, springboard diving, that kind of thing. So wow. lots of different swimming, subaqua. And so you got to an instructor level so that you, you, could, you were able to teach other people. Yeah, I used to teach fencing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so what was your, uh, your favourite one? If you couldn't be a stuntman, you could only do one of those. Uh, skydiving. Really? Yeah, because again, it's one of those ones that I saw as a little kid. There was a TV show um, in the early 80s called The Fall Guy that I used to watch about a stuntman. And uh, Colt Seavers, uh, played by Lee Majors. And the opening credits of that were he was jumping out of a plane, being followed out by the cameraman. It just struck a chord. And I thought that would be incredible. I want to and, do that. You know, but five years later, I was doing it for real, oh, thinking wow. of that opening sequence when I was a little boy. You know, it's that must be. I don't know. Is it? Ter- I was going to say that must be terrifying, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's completely exhilarating. I think it's different for different people. I, I, I'm not actually an adrenaline junkie. Okay. Which people find strange. Yeah, because it sounds like you are. Profession, but... <laughs> actually. No, like a lot, a lot of stunt. Most, I'd say, most stunt people are calculating, and it's very methodical, and there's an intelligent sure. approach to get away without injuring yourself, you know, so it's not yeah. as daredevil. The daredevils don't last very long. They get smashed up and they do silly know, limping around, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was nervous on every parachute jump, but I just did just under a 1,000 parachute jumps. I haven't jumped for a while now. Wow. But, yeah. Do you want to get to a 1,000? I should I should have done really. I stopped yeah. at literally about 30 jumps short, but uh, oh, no. it's never too late. I might do it again. I do think about it sometimes. People yeah. are skydiving in California and invite me over sometimes consider it you know that's cool and so when you're doing all of these different things is it quite expensive do you have to have got a lot of savings to be able to training all of these things or are you able to work at the same time well it, it's difficult some people save up a great sum of money and then just take time out and they just dedicate themselves to training mm. uh, or you just like i did hold lots of different jobs down like oh, instructing wow. uh, like a real job between acting jobs and that kind of thing so what was your what was your real job like a waiter or like a Oh, I did all sorts. Uh, I was a school technician to start with. Where I used to teach fencing okay. in the same school, get changed in my fencing master's <laughs> outfit, then go back into being a, a school technician. I did that early days. I paid well. Uh, I've been a doorman. Um, you well, know. That, that's probably in many ways scarier than <laughs> doing jumping Definitely, out of a plane. Definitely, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, lots of different jobs, and then the acting took off, and I made a living out of that uh, to, to finish paying for the training, really. That's amazing. And so... I, d- I did a bit of research on you. So did you know you have a Wikipedia page? I did, yeah. Did you make the Wikipedia page? No. No, okay, well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm surprised someone... it's still there, to be honest. No, it is amazing. So tell us, so you, it says you've done a lot of um, stunt double work. Yeah. And so 
what's the tell us a bit about the the, the stunt double work that you've done presumably that was earlier on before you moved into being a coordinator yeah so so there's different sorts of stunt people there's people called utility stunts who turn up and there's a big battlefield scene they're one of 20 people charging to camera getting shot that kind of thing sure Normally you start that way. I didn't realize till many years into my career, but normally you start by doing a lot of utility stunts and then you're kind of talent spotted and picked out to double, uh, you know, like a, a second in a movie and then eventually double a lead. I was quite fortunate in being picked out early days before I knew that's how it worked. Sure. So I was the first uh, person I was chosen to double was Piers Brosnan in uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Cause oh, cool. I had a scene with him. Uh, in the South China Seas on this stealth ship, a door opens and I'm a dopey guard who comes out and he stabs me in the chest. Nice. And as the life drains <laughs> out of me, he dresses uh, myself as him and he holds me out and I get shot by the bad guy Stamper and fall in the sea. So it was during that scene, took a couple of nights to shoot, that somebody said, actually, you're not a bad double for him at the time. It was yeah. a similar build and everything. So I was asked if I'd want to do some underwater sequences. So, uh, yeah, that was the first time I've been asked to double somebody of... Uh, what does that feel like? Is that a strange experience? Like being like, you're you're going to double this guy and just do the stuff that he would do? Because it sounds like you're actually James Bond in many ways. Well, in your mind you are when you're doing it. <laughs> so you're yeah. all big kids, really. And uh, that's mainly what I did as a stunt performer, really, which was more enjoyable because I had the acting background. Yeah. You then look at the way people walk. Really early days before you've even introduced yourself, you're watching from the wings. Yeah. See the way they walk and hold themselves. And because you, it's not just the way the actor moves, the actor in character moves, because you've got to try and do that, emulate that absolutely sure. spot on so no one spots the join. You don't want a 70 year old guy jumping on a motorbike and suddenly you've got a sprightly 22 year old throwing it yeah. around and then he climbs off and hobbles <laughs> off, you know? So you, yeah, you, you generally match their mannerisms and movements. Are you able to, um, when you're watching movies and stuff, do you look out for doubling or are you able to spot it most of the time? Yeah, it, it's early days. You spot all sorts of things, and once you see something, you can't unsee. And it. I point that out to people sat watching TV and like continuity errors. <laughs> I find it irritating or lazy when they, they've just left things in the final cut like, yeah. that are glaringly obvious to me. So I'll point things out. But yeah, you, you spot things, or you start to wonder how you could improve on that. You know. Yeah, that must be so. Because people ask me quite a lot about like, is comedy ruined for you whenever you watch funny stuff? And in some ways it is because I'm sat there and I'm not laughing. I'm just like processing in my mind why something is funny. So I appreciate like why it's funny and I'm watching it. And in my head, I'm just going, mm, yeah, that's funny. That was well done. Yeah. So it must be a similar thing where you're you're watching it and you're appreciating the skill, but actually you're not engaging with it in the same way as other people because you're, exactly that you can yeah. be analytical sometimes. And well, it, it's a different thing. It You know, you can be watching and see a stunt well done and think, wow, I wasn't expecting that because they filmed it. Maybe the, the cameraman leapt off the ledge with the actor and you think, oh, if it's a DVD, I'll stop, rewind it. That was clever. Sure. Is he on a wire or and I'll try and work it out? Yeah. Was, was that CGI? And then I'll store it somewhere subconsciously that if I ever need to do that, you know, if they use a steady cam with that as well and he felt that he was attached to the guy and I'll just store that. Uh, and offer that up at a later date and see how we can improve that. And you're always always looking around to how so you can improve it and raise the quality. What kind of stuff you can yeah. steal from others? Hmm. Well, but, enhance. Yeah, enhance. Very good homage. <laughs> so you've kind of got the skills of James Bond and then you've got a sort of Sherlock mind palace of stunt ideas. Yeah, That's exactly. so cool. And so tell us a bit about one of the things that was cited on the Wikipedia page was... So falling back 140 foot 
off the British gas building for Torchwood. Yeah. That was you. Yeah. And so how what what was that how does that work? What what was that for? That that was for a, a Doctor Who spin-off called Torchwood. And I did three seasons of that double in John Borrowman, who played Captain Jack in the show. Uh, and that, and he, it was great because he's immortal in, in the show. So I got killed every week in different <laughs> weird and wonderful ways. Oh, wow. I was just talking about this yesterday because I've just uh, got the train over from Cardiff where I'm doing casualty. And when I walk around Cardiff where it was shot, you look around and most of the main buildings have been chased and filmed by helicopter running across rooftops or oh, falling so from the weird. building or standing aloft looking out over the uh, horizon, you know. So that particular one, he was just pushed off the roof and I did that with a wire attached to me and uh, fell backwards. And just before I hit the ground, the, the wire pulls up taut and it decelerates on a drum to stop me before I hit the concrete. Oh, wow. Oh, so there wasn't a like, box or crash mat? Or we put an airbag in just in case, but it was just to make me feel better. When you get up there and look, there's no way if I wasn't on the wire. Hold on, sorry, hold on. I'm just trying to imagine this. So you're on top of a building that's like 140 feet in the air. You're attached to a wire, right? There's a, What's an airbag? So they, so they put an airbag in, so you start off standing next to an airbag, which looks a decent size, you know, it, it's about the width of maybe four cars, and, and as long as, say, three cars, okay. to give a rough idea. And a very thin wire, which seems to get thinner and thinner as you're lifted mm. aloft by a crane. <laughs> and then you start to pick up the wind, and the wind's whistling around your ears, and you can't, all the noise and excitement of the set below disappears, it's just silence, just the wind oh, blowing. Wow. And so you're on your own up there? Just on my own, oh. hoisted up. And then you look over your shoulder, there's someone in a rooftop, maybe 30 feet below, shouting up with a radio, stand by, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And you just know, it's like a fairground ride, like a roller coaster. In any minute, it's just going to cut and you're going to drop like a stone. So you're wow. thinking about performance, falling like he does, moving like he does, turning your head from camera. So I'd say it's really nerve-wracking on the run-up to it. I always, I get nervous still as a coordinator, even before stunts. But it's a healthy adrenaline. It's like you know, sharpening your senses. Exciting and not panic-inducing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And but as soon as they say action, it's like pure concentration. So there isn't any nerves. You're just working. So during that yeah. fall, albeit ten seconds of it, I'm working all the way down, trying to move as the character did, and just focusing on what I've got to do. You know? I don't think I'd be. Able, I think I'd be able to do the fall. I don't think I'd just be like, yeah, let's just get me falling and <laughs> just see what happens. But then, so hold on. So the wire decelerates you. So, but that must, is that quite sudden, the, the way that it rips against you? It, it stops within maybe 12 feet, something like that. It's a, a rapid deceleration. It's called a decelerator. Go, the way it goes up to a pulley in the crane, which is like 200 foot up above the, the ground, sure. then down to the ground where the, all the mechanism is. And it's just like a big, right. a big wrapped around a drum with a hydraulic brake on it, essentially. So what do you think, so you've got the guys on the floor, you've got, I don't know, directors and ADs and all that kind of stuff. They're looking up at this, right? And they... They're probably just shitting themselves, right? They're looking at you hanging off a crane. And what do you think is going through their mind watching you do that? Because you've got loads of stuff to focus on. Yeah, what's... they get nervous too. The first ADs get nervous. They're yeah. calling it. They're shouting action. It's a mixed bag. Other people start gathering around, like, who's this crazy guy? The actor comes out of his trailer to have a look. I've got to watch this. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'd be like, what's this guy up to? And then the, then the public... St we did it about 3 a.m. actually, that... Okay. And people still came out of the woodwork and cars so stopped. People got out looking up to see what the fuss was about. It's exciting. It's so unusual. And so do you ever have actors who... Because you hear all these stories when it comes to like Hollywood stuff about actors insisting on doing their own stunts. But is it kind of in terms of who does it and is it all just insurance and money? and like, Or is there is there a protocol that you kind of have to go through? 
as a, as a general rule, it's a, it is insurance is a big issue, but as a general rule, if the actor's not doing it, then it, if the actor is doing it, it's not a stunt. Okay. As a general rule. And, yeah. and the, there's a, a very few... When the actor is also the exec producer, like okay. Tom Cruise, somebody like that, then he has a lot more power to say, well, I don't care how many millions extra it costs insurance, this is what I want to do it. But even even so, there'll be variations. You know, the, his stunt double will, uh, you know, do, do do it all without a wire, and maybe Tom Cruise does it with a wire, and there's slight variances of risk rather yeah. than, you know, very, very rarely take it as far as the stunt person would. Sure. And do you think, yeah, that makes sense. And for, so from your point of view, is the only thing kind of, is it always better for the actor to do as much as possible, or is it? Is it? Do you think it's like a kind of an ego thing? Actors just kind of want to do it because they just want to do it. But actually, from your point of view, like that's your job, it's your profession. You're meant to take those risks. I think, yeah. Is it? What? Yeah. Why do you think some actors want to insist on doing stuff? I guess. I, th I think a mixture of reasons. Um, ego creeps in, obviously. Sure. Yeah, There's some yeah. big egos out there with yeah. actors. Well, you're in. You're in a room with one right now. <laughs> Egos and sometimes uh, a misperception that how hard can it be to fall through a sugar glass window sure. and, and land on some boxes or crash mats. It can't be that difficult. Yeah. And so I, as the coordinator, I'll start building up. It depends on their personality, their experience and, and how they listen, take instruction. Mm. And, and I have that ability to call it and just say, no, this isn't happening. And I'm, I'm very willing to say that. Yeah. I kind of like saying that because I only <laughs> ever someone... say it when they're crossing a line and I'll say no. And so many times people have, have, have had that conversation with a producer, director, mm. and then a stuntman's done it and you know took a knock or just about with perfect timing got away with it. Yeah. And they've said, yeah, good call. Uh, like, phew, you were right. Sure. And, I, and that's why I'm there to be paid. I'm not, I don't actually arrive with an ego, genuinely. Yeah. I'm there to help people, to help the show and, and, and deliver some really great action on the screen. But where we all walk away afterwards and everyone's you know, ideal. safe and happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it must be really tough because I think, yeah, are you looking out when you're, when you're seeing those actors, are you kind of looking out for, I don't know, maybe it's like a sixth sense. You just kind of get a vibe if someone's a bit panicky or they're not listening or, if someone is just, like you said, actually, yeah, I think if you're coming in, you meet an actor who's just kind of shrugging and being like, how hard can it be? That's probably like a red flag, isn't it? Yeah, ex like, exactly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must be really tough. Yeah, so world record holder. Okay, so I've got longest parachute jump and highest bungee jump. Yeah. So talk, let's go in that order. So talk me through longest parachute jump. What was that? So this was, going back to me wanting to parachute as a, small child and, and then finally at 16 yeah. I learned to, to skydive and I learned the old-fashioned way which is it's called a static line jump and, and when you fall out of the aeroplane you're attached to a line and that pulls your chute so you just okay. have to learn how to counter three very loud and hold a perfect position so you don't tumble and you do three or four of those jumps then they stick a pretend ripcord in and you jump again and they want to see that you don't panic and you can carefully pull this ripcord on a, about jump seven, they say, okay, you're good enough to, to do this. And very scary moment. Yeah. They detach the line and you're on your own and you jump out. If you don't pull that, you're in big trouble. You have oh, a reserve. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, that, that could be scary if you're tumbling as well. And you were 16? Yeah. And so you're just like, how high up are you? Well, it progressively start, you start at 2,500 feet and by free fall, you're at about 4,000 feet, something like that, which oh. isn't long. At a terminal velocity, 2,500 feet is 12 seconds for impact. 
from impact. That's yeah. the ground. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clarify. So I, I went on that journey, and it was exciting all the way up to this. It's called Category 8 at the time, but your wings, if you like. Uh, it took a while. It took about 18 months with the British weather going every weekend doing sure. it. Sure. And, and then suddenly you, you're awarded your wings, as it were. And you get a little badge. Yeah, yes. Nice. So, so on patch. Uh, <laughs> shiny enamel badge. Yeah. And I, I just thought, well, what now? I've trained, I've done all of this stuff. And sky surfing was just starting to come in, and they didn't like it in England. You had to do that in the States, and I couldn't afford that at the time. But it, I started to think, I wonder what it'd be like to open the parachute high and travel, what sort of distance you could travel. And I was doing hang gliding at the time. I was a, a club pilot with, with hang gliding. And that, that, that's where the idea was born, to start looking into it. I wonder how high up somebody has opened a parachute and how far they've traveled. So I looked into it, and there was a Guinness World Record at the time uh, where a guy in the 50s had got hung up in the deserts with thermals in the military, and, and his flight had lasted 40 minutes. Oh, I wow. thought, 40 minutes is incredible. Normally, it's like... That's like five. gliding That's with just a parachute. Yeah, they kept lifting him up, and he'd fall down wow. to the ground, lift him up again. So he was actually airborne for 40 minutes. And I just set the idea in motion of, that would be great. How would I do this? So long story short, the way to do it was to get to 30,000 feet, to have enough time to break that record. And okay. therefore, at 30,000 feet, you're in wearing an oxygen mask. Yeah. How high the, plane, the most planes it's about go? It's about the same, 30,000, 35,000 feet. It's the same wow. sort of corridor. So when you look out your plane, going on your holidays, and you look out, there's that frost on the inside. Sometimes you see it's yeah. Some you know, well, well in below a, zero. With a parachute, yeah, waving. break the world record, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. So, so that was the, the origins of that. And I managed to fly over the Andalusian mountains. Um, after f several attempts, um, we, we had a, a fire on board the hot air balloon at one point and rapidly descended. Uh, Sorry, what? There was a fire on yeah. the hot air balloon? It's all a learning curve. There's no manual of how to get a regular hot air balloon, okay. fly to 32,000 <laughs> feet and jump out. So you, it's all testing, experimenting, meeting with fire? people. It was, well... <laughs> It was about a foot from us leaning out. I had a parachute on. Charlie, the balloon pilot, didn't. So you were so, right. You just jumped so off. So that was my get out was to bail out. <laughs> so it, all it was was propane freezers. We didn't know. The seals don't work above 25,000 feet. Oh, you start yeah. to get little icicles around the, uh, the burners. And when you they start to pop out, when you light it, it can then set fire to the uh, ice cubes, basically. A big fire broke out, oh, which yeah. we put out. It rapid descents, put that out. Uh, on that particular one and then climbed and we didn't have enough fuel left to get to altitude so we aborted that one. So it's just kind of trial and error just so you go yeah. back up you go okay we know this is a problem. So yeah you replace them with silicon seals we'd have a meeting wow. we had a guy called Pearl Lindstrand who did the uh, across the Atlantic with Richard uh, Branson years ago he came on board and helped us with advice and said oh yeah you've made yeah we found that out you yeah. want silicon seals. A classic <laughs> error <laughs> yeah classic 25,000 error. feet error there. <laughs> So how long were you in the air for once you once you did forty five minutes? Forty five minutes. Yeah. Do your legs go numb? Is it like that was the least of my <laughs> concerns? It I'm was, just worried about getting pins and needles. Normally, yeah, I probably yeah. did have, but I had that much to consider because there's so much can go wrong. Yeah. Your oxygen can fail, and I would have had to have cut away the main canopy and skydive with just one spare chute. Then, like no reserve to, to, okay. to oxygen rich air. And yeah. when we were getting when I was getting lower to the ground, the, the Balloon stayed with me as much as he could because I had a camera on my helmet. I was filming him for a documentary, circling around him, filming his balloon. He was filming me. 
and suddenly he put his burner on and rapidly rose. And I thought, why is he? And then I looked and it's like a mountain rage in front of me. <laughs> loads of forests, like nowhere to land at all. And loads of thermals kept collapsing my canopy. And I just had to pick a spot. Like it just it literally looked like a footpath. And it was, it was you know, maybe I don't know, seven feet wide. And I just went just through the trees and oh, wow. found a footpath in this forest to land. You know? And so, yeah, I was going to ask actually, do you... Is there like in your planning of it? Are you trying to think of the ideal place you would land, or is it just we're just going to go here? No, you have a good idea because there's he's Charlie the balloon pilot is thinking of flight corridors. He's weaving, mm. going under this flight corridor, above this one, and the area of Spain we chose, like Andalusia, was perfect not to encounter aircraft at that altitude. Sure. So, so that's a consideration. And nearer the ground, it's like normally what wide open farmland, but. Because I'm concentrating on holding yeah. a parachute just before the stall rate to slow down my descent. Uh, yeah, I didn't have a lot of choice to the last. Footpath. Yeah, exactly. How to oh, be done? Wow, that is amazing. And so you are the current world record yeah, holder. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that is very exciting. I'm sat here with a world record holder. Okay, and second one. So the highest bungee jump was that off a hot air balloon as well? Yeah, that that was a tag on to the project because we had some sponsors, Damart Thermalware. Because of the well below zero at these altitudes you jump in, so we definitely needed those that mm. th decent thermal wear. So we had that on, and we'd had a f few failed attempts. And I don't like using that term "failed," but it was just a, it was a massive learning curve. A few you learning go curves, over, yeah, yeah and that, that there were just steps needed to get the success in the end. So one of those was, well, what if you, you keep getting held back by weather? Is there anything you can do, you know, newsworthy, if you can't get to thirty thousand feet? So. I'd looked into bungee jumping, and there was a in the Guinness Book of Records, it was 8,000 feet, the world record, just over 8,000 feet. So we, we thought, well, that's how hard can that be? You know, I did some tests on the ground from a crane with me jumping with a parachute on to test, you know, the weight differences and that kind sure. of thing. Uh, designed a quick release system to, so when I'm upside down in the balloon, I can pull a ripcord and it'll release me from the bungee without taking out the pilot and all these kind of things. Yeah. And then just as we were about to go over, uh, we found a, an unofficial record existed, 10,500 feet. So it's wow. like, oh, gosh, that's, that's like a bit of a test now. So that then put us into breathing oxygen before I jumped. So, yeah. So how high did you go in the end? Uh, 15,200 feet. Casual, just a casual 15. Mm. And so was there, um, so was there, I think I remember you telling me a story when we were at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> when we were filming oh, season one, yeah, one of the, <laughs> the, the, the luxury places to stay in Media City. So you had a couple of attempts at it, and yeah. did something go wrong on the first attempt where you couldn't release yourself yeah. on a bungee? Yeah, that was the, the first ever test at a lower altitude. I love it, it's just test, was, you're just uh, testing it out at 15,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I did a test at, uh, for the release mechanism, and it's... Because the, the air is much more rarefied, what we what worked on the ground didn't work at altitude because the air's so thin. I felt so much faster attached okay. to the bungee cord that it ripped the actual rip cord, which was on my leg. It ripped it completely off down to below my foot. So if you imagine I'm upside down mm -hmm. and it was about a foot lower than the heel of my boot. So oh, with all wow. the strength, you kind of do a stomach crunch to touch your toes if you're lucky. With, yeah. with a, it's like a child hanging on your shoulders. Big and you're upside bag. down at yeah. 15,000, yeah. So then I, I just couldn't reach it. And I thought, well, okay. We did have we had backup plans to eject the, the bungee cord if need be and this kind of thing. But you couldn't plan for, well, if he ejects the bungee cord, I'm free falling at 120 miles an hour, still mm. can't reach my heel because I wouldn't have the strength in my leg to lift up a very heavy bungee cord. Yeah. Because so, your feet would be tied together, right? Yeah. 
So, well, uh, they were connected. They were wide apart, okay. uh, connected by a wire. But the, it was essentially all on one leg, the pressure, once you get to the end. And so are you worried at that altitude? So you're hanging upside down, your ripcord's broken. He's going to release Is that what he did? The pilot released you from no, the No, we decided to descend rapidly. We had different hand signals we'd agreed in okay, advance okay. beyond panic gestures. So how far away are you, what, like 30 metres, 40 metres? How long's the bungee? It's probably extended, probably just maybe like 120 feet. And so he can he, he can, can see, see me you know, frantically sw- waving. Yeah, <laughs> frantically <laughs> yeah. waving the do not cut Hold on, so descend. you descended and you're hanging underneath the, the balloon as it's coming down. Yeah. So how so you're upside down. And so Spinning. How you, so, okay, <laughs> great. Spinning, dizzy, upside yeah. down. Not a lot of air up there. And then you just go all the way to the ground. Yeah, we, we had to land. So it's an emergency landing with me suspended beneath the balloon basket. So he's so putting me down to the ground. How do you not land on your, on your face? Well, you just watch and look for the ground coming up and then crawl up. That's literally the technique. Just like get out the way of the Took the, the impact on the back of the parachute. So that saved my bag. Ripped all that to bits. Dragged oh, wow. me out. I got away with just a small cut. Uh, next to my eye, like a little thorn to scratch for me to sort of drag through all these bushes. And you were dragged through bushes? Yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious to go. I wish I'd kept the footage because we had a, a rostrum camera looking straight down below the uh, balloon basket. So what was worse is it's embarrassing enough and painful enough hitting the ground. Sure. But then what happens is the balloon keeps going of with course. the wind. <laughs> that bungee cord, just when you're thanking your good Lord for the uh, survival, it punt pulls taut and taut and taut, and suddenly it whips you through all the bushes, <laughs> undergrowth, taking sure, out oh, all that sorts. That must terrifying. Yeah. Or, or with the time where you're like, I'm fine now, I'm on the ground. Well, it, I, I suppose in hindsight you're in a bit of shock. You yeah. Know, you've just survived, like, you know, a big encounter, adrenaline's kicking. You land and think, thank God for that. Uh, and then suddenly, like, oh, you start to move slowly and it accelerates, oh, you start no. to get dragged, and then you very quickly just reach over. It's easy to reach your boot now and pull the sure. ripcord and it detaches. And he flew off again because it's like dropping ballast. He then took off and landed about two miles away. Oh, wow. So you're just now in a field with a bungee cord. Yeah, and ruined. a long, long walk waiting for pickup. <laughs> <laughs> Stashed the parachute, found a road, started walking. Oh, wow. About an hour later, somebody came along, See. a local who'd seen it all happen. Oh, worked nice. out where I was and then just gave like, me a lift to the local, local town and local just like, what are you doing Why? <laughs> exactly I so was asking myself the same question very much the the less sort of glamorous side of Definitely. the world record yeah. yeah I didn't tell a lot of people about that for a number of years <laughs> I just dined on the the victory jump wow that is amazing and so how long before that that first attempt did you then go back to trying a second one I was quite quick about, about um less than three months so was there ever a moment in your mind where you were like, I'm not, yeah, fuck this, I'm not doing this? No, I, I could like... never end on that. Okay, you know, okay. That, that's Because the next time it was a chest mounted, air Teflon cables going down each leg. It was a hell of a pull on my leg as well on that one. So by the time, that's why I went down both legs on the, the other jump. And so um, presumably when you, when, the, when you jump initially and the, t- the cable goes taut, is it going to tilt the balloon, like off balance the balloon or do you? That- no, there's, there's a technique that he goes into. So you, go, you go into a little bit of a dive as you, the, the jump occurs, and then you let a bit of uh, air out of the balloon to start a rapid descent. Otherwise, it can yeah, it can stretch the balloon. Oh, so the momentum's kind of going with yeah. you. Okay. So, I mean, that's obviously nuts, isn't it? You're jumping out there, and he's essentially hurtling towards the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All good fun, though. I enjoyed it. Wow. That's, this is, that's, okay, that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Okay, right. I, I, I think... We're, we're all right for time. No, let's, but let's keep moving. So you've also, I didn't know this, you've written two books. 
Yeah. Is that right? You've written Seven Paths to Freedom and The Fearless Path. Yeah. Tell us a bit about those. So they came about, I started doing talks. At, uh, first of all, I was invited to my old secondary school to by my old form tutor, which was kind of cool. He tracked me down and he said to me, uh, you know, these kids at that moment in time, they didn't have a lot to aspire to. The girls were getting pregnant at 14. The parents oh, were telling place. them to, uh, you know, it might be good for benefits and things like that. Wow, okay. Exactly. And the lads, there was no uh, prospects of work and all, you know, doom and gloom and that kind of thing. Mm. And I'm a very positive thinker. So my form tutor remembered me saying that I'd be a stuntman. And a lot of people laughed and he, he sort of smirked. Yeah, I enjoy yeah. that. You know, this is when you were 11. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. he was, yeah, he's my form tutor, teacher from like 12 to 14. And, yeah, Mr. Gallagher. And he'd, he'd got in touch and said, would you come and talk to the school? So I, I went there and put a picture up of me in the school uniform, PowerPoint, uh, and said, you know, the truth. From It was a good message because it was from the heart. And I could say, look, when I was your age or even younger, you know, I, I used to get laughed at because uh, I, I was asked to be, uh, asked to read my diary today. And I've looked through my old diary entry uh, and I'm cringing saying this, but I wanted to be a stuntman when I was your age. And you can see them all thinking, oh, who's this guy? Because I was dressed in a suit, so they thought I was a local businessman or a something like that. Push, uh, yeah, something in, like yeah. that, all nerdy. <laughs> and so I went on and played on that, that, you know, uh, you, you can have little dreams as far-fetched as they are at school. And then I'd say, anyway, um, I didn't listen to the people who laughed like you guys are, and, uh, and this is what happened. And then I'd hit play and have a showreel of me fighting famous people on the silver screen and oh, breaking nice. records and that kind of thing. Yeah. Five minutes, then the lights would come up and everyone would be like open-mouthed and you've got everyone's attention then. Yeah. You know? And did you do a quick change? Were you in like <laughs> medieval armour? Yeah. <laughs> on fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I got a lot of positive feedback. It was quite emotional. It was, uh, I, I, I got a real kick out of doing that. And, and that set me thinking. Lots of people say, well, how did you... Um, you know, achieve that. You know, how can you be so tenacious as to to not give up with all the numerous pitfalls and things? And I started uh, giving that some thought. And I was reading books on positive thinking, and I'm a real nerd away from the set in terms sure. of interpositive uh, thinking. And uh, I, I studied to be an NLP trainer because okay. I was interesting in body language, dealing with actors, and reading people's you know, uh, emotions and like we went back to that, assessing somebody who's a bit cocky, that, that could be somebody who's just a bit nervous sure. or it could be somebody a bit nonchalant who's, who's dangerous to himself or, and, and you can assess all these things by body language, eye movement, when people are lying, telling the truth and so much. Sure. So that interested me. So I trained in NLP and to cut a long story short, I trained in all these different disciplines and got to realizing about imagery that when you surround yourself with images, it programs your subconscious mind. And I realized that all through my childhood, uh, my bedroom was full of pictures of stuntmen or oh, Evil wow. Knievel or, you know, TV shows and just lots of stills from big, doing big stunts. Uh, and that started me thinking, oh, I wonder if that's anything to do with it. And so I, I went down that path and looked into it and discovered and by experimentation that when you purposely look at imagery, you, you could, the world is your oyster. You can achieve absolutely anything because I did the same thing with world, world records. Uh, and I just tested this, uh, and everything came to fruition. That I've, and that's what I've used since. It's wow. like literally like anything you wanted to do, 
if you, there's a definite process of programming your subconscious mind and it comes into fruition. So wow. I wanted to write that once I found that out. Yeah. I'd start doing talks about that and people were interested and lots of people said, oh, you should write a book. And eventually I thought, well, you know what, I'll add that to the list of things. Yeah. And start visualizing about <laughs> Surrounding yourself with books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just visualizing writing books, telling stories, because I'm a very shy person normally, so it's nice to be able to sit down there and uh, and just put pen to paper and tell tell it from yeah. the heart and that kind of thing. And it's something that's yours as well, and it? it's yeah. not sort of, yeah, it's not like you're coordinating or directing something or you're performing in somebody else's film or whatever, it's just, it's your book. And you yeah, it's, it's very personal, and it's done that to, to help people, and so I've had some good feedback from people who've read it and said, oh, brilliant, you know, I've, I've uh, put that into practice, what you said, and this has happened, and, and that's quite nice. Oh, wow. To, you know, makes it was the right, the right decision, you know. And so it, this was inspired by your talk at the school, kind of getting yeah, rid of feedback. that was the journey you... of it, yeah. Wow, that is cool. And um, so we've done, we've done books, we've done world records, we've done nuts stunts. Um, okay. Okay, so this is this might be a quick one actually. So this is my final question before we go to some questions from some fans. Mm. Um, is is there something? So what is it about being a stuntman or a stunt coordinator? Do you think that like is there something that sticks out in your mind that the average person doesn't know that you would say? And it can be anything from like actually sometimes it's a bit dull because you're just waiting around and then you just got to go. Or is there something that do you think? Yeah, the 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 muggles should know about being a stuntman that they don't know i mean i think you hit the nail on the head in terms of the, the time it takes most people would be surprised just mm. how long it can take but i, I generally uh, choose to work in television and it's a conscious choice some people okay. who don't know me better think oh you're doing tv shows is it not very busy is there not much work in film or and i go no no <laughs> if i do a fight scene for a tv drama i can block that through in the morning for mm. maybe an hour hour and a half tops and we might shoot that after lunch and probably finish that in the afternoon a good good fight scene it'll be done dusted in the day the identical fight scene in a movie will be a week of rehearsal wow. and maybe four days to shoot it wow why so yeah, long just the way they shoot it the the time it takes to reset the the, the cameras the oh. you know and because it's expected everything takes that long in tv you know we'll swing a lens that'll take that's changing a lens on a camera that that'll be you know four minutes sure on a movie set you know big old like cameras in the, the old day. days traditionally big heavy cameras with film in them in the day yeah. and it just took longer and it's expected that everything takes longer in film so some people like that mm. uh, i just get frustrated because i'm a jobbing coordinator one yeah. day i'm doing a car chase then i'm coordinating something on horseback then it'll be on a speedboat doing second unit directing and every day is different yeah. so that's what i like about the job kind of like moving keeping things yeah yeah keeping Keeping things moving. Yeah. Um, okay, let's go to... Uh, yeah, we're probably moving towards... Okay, great, yeah. Let's go to um, some questions from the web. So uh, this is some questions from uh, fans that we've put out on social media and they questions for you. Oh, some of them yeah. are about like, the Goes Wrong show and all that kind of stuff. I'm working with mischief, so yeah. careful what you say. I'm right here. Uh, so Bethany Watson asks, was there ever a stunt that the mischief... <clears throat> I think I know the answer to this, actually. Was there ever a stunt that the mischief writers wrote that you thought was just too impossible to create in real life? Hmm. What would your answer be first, then? I'm curious. I think, it, I think no. Because I think whenever we've asked you about stuff, I've always found you to be very 
just engaged with the work, but you're just sort of like, well, yeah, anything's possible. We just need yeah, to figure exactly. it out. And like, if you've got enough money, <laughs> then we can we yeah, can do exactly. it. Exactly. So there's there's either it's either financial time, or you know, a, a way of shooting it. With you guys, it, it's very very different. I have to say. Okay. In 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 that, I, I certainly go a lot further with what I would. There's a line where a stunt double takes over, mm. and that line with you guys is much further along oh, really? than it is, of course, yeah, with everybody else, because you have that physical background and you sure. all listen and that kind of thing. So you've got that muscle memory and everything else. And so, provided it's not going to be like a big impact. So if the guy ha absolutely had to be a drop onto a table that was going to break away, no matter how you did that, it was going to hurt. Sure. Then yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd just question the validity of doing it yourself versus you doing part of it onto a crash mat and yeah. a stunt double finishing that off in the cut if it worked, you know, sure. visually. Yeah, yeah. Because a stunt double, you know, will breathe out just before impact. He won't get as winded necessarily. He can relax during a, uh, a situation where he'd normally tense up. Mm. And not that you guys couldn't. And then there's the insurance issue of, okay, well, even if you do it perfectly, could that breakaway table splinter and just scratch your face? And that will ruin continuity or yeah. there's all these things on my mind. But, yeah, certainly go uh, a lot further down that line with you guys. But, yeah, that's my mentality is that anything is possible across the board. Yeah. It's just we can create the illusion of. So even though it sounds crazy, you know, can somebody just fall off their six feet to a solid floor? Well, they could, but they'll probably break a rib or so. I thought, sure. can we create the illusion of that? Yeah. And let's talk about fake flaws or cheating it in a certain way. Or so there there are some stunts, like one other shows that you've worked on or films or whatever, that you just, you get to a point where you're like, someone's just going to get a bit hurt doing this if that's what we want to do. Is there like a, because obviously you're going to try and mitigate injury as much as possible, but sometimes there's not much way around it. It's just, yeah, someone falls through a table you're going to get hurt at some point. Or you get hit by a car. I mean, like, stuff yeah, like that. Must even be... that, you know, it's all fake. So yeah. the car in in the movie or the TV show can come around a corner on two wheels travelling at, you know, 40 miles an hour and a big old impact. Someone spirals and hits the concrete and it's, like, awful and they die in the show. In real life, that's never going more than 15 miles an hour. Sure, so okay. It, it's done with camera angles. The, the, the guy never actually gets hit by his legs. He actually does a brake fall over the bonnet. So if you slow it frame by frame, they jump up and allow that to sweep under them. And they just brush the bonnet. The only impact is on the top of the windscreen. But before they impact, they're throwing themselves into like a tumble. So it takes sure. out that sting. So, yeah, you're kind of swinging your yeah, momentum but, into yeah. the car. Yeah. So you still catch and it still hurts. You know, it's akin to somebody. I'd, I'd say it's the same as somebody, you know, an American footballer running into you and taking you out. Mm. Mm. You know, if you stood on the grass in a field, <laughs> yeah. it won't kill you, but it's going to hurt. And so yeah. you might want to pad up. So that's what we do. We pad up, we cover any bony bits with hard pads, gel yeah. pads, that kind of thing. But mainly it's an illusion that the, the car speed is slow. And we're rolling through it and we're doing a brake fall when we hit the ground, ideally. Absorbing all you, the energy. you thinking about that kind of stuff, <clears throat> particularly with I even some stuff that we're doing as well, like are you, as you're reading the script or talking to the actors or the, the doubles, are you creating it in your head and kind of working with the director to sort of figure out angles and speed and how you can do it in post as well is that all part yeah, of your job it's always i'll be honest it, it, <laughs> it gets frustrating the goes wrong show mm. uh, fr from the stunt perspective what's very very unusual is we we don't we can't place cameras where the stunt looks the best sure. because 
So I've had to adopt this mentality, which took a little while, of what <laughs> does the goes right show look, look like? Yeah, yeah. So if you're filming from the front, we can't suddenly then switch to a nice low angle of somebody falling off a breakaway balcony mm. off camera, because, well, why, why was the camera there? Yeah. So I have thought this a few times. Wouldn't it be great if the writers had a scene on that balcony, some dialogue filmed from that angle for a reason? So we've got that excuse to put the camera there. I see, yeah, you can cut back to so it. So that we do get the optimum shot that makes the stunt look good. But, yeah, yeah. But oftentimes it is, it's, it's a little bit frustrating that one of you guys does a fantastic stunt and it looks great, but it would have looked so much better if it were a different angle or on a different sure. length. So yeah, there's a slight yeah. frustration there. Um, but it is what it is. You know, it's meant to look accidental and it wouldn't look accidental if you got an optimum Came angle to, to get the, the stunt. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those things. Because I remember chatting to Martin a lot. The, he's the director, for those listening that don't know. And he... Um, we always come up, I think he has a similar thing with us because we'll come up with a joke or whatever and he's just like, yeah, it's funny, but like, why am I filming that? Why, <laughs> yeah. like, your show doesn't, it's not meant to go wrong, is it? So why am I filming it? And so, yeah, it would be the same for like, you come up with the best stunt and the best angle, but then actually it's just like, oh, but yeah, why are we, how do we get into there to make that work? So yeah, that must be really frustrating as well because you have such a wealth of knowledge of those, of all the work that you've done before there's probably a part of you that you're having to just silence of just being like, no, if we just move the camera over here, it's going to look much better. But you kind of get why we can't do that, which yeah. must be really tough in the room. Yeah, it just comes with accepting the job and, yeah. you know, that's the territory and, and going back to that, you want to make it as look as great as it can. So you want to make it look as realistically gone wrong. Mm. Uh, so you just, you just move the goalposts. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, next question is from, I want to say Kazanet. I'm not sure mm. I'm saying that right, but it's... Uh, it's a fantastic Twitter handle. Um, so this is actually kind of leading into this. So Kazanet says, I assume that stunt, uh, stunts don't suddenly pop up and stay the same, but they grow or shrink and transform and change. Can you tell us about a stunt, a specific stunt sequence from the show? Can be any show like Goes Wrong Show that kind of illustrates the idea of it starts out as one thing and then kind of morphs into something else. Or is it always kind of what you get in the script to stick quite rigidly to it? Or does it evolve as you're rehearsing and shooting? I think there's there's flexibility on both sides. So, because mm. the ideal with the goes wrong show is to have uh, the actors do the stunts. Yeah. So, if you and when it crosses that line that we spoke about, so the I'm just trying to think what the so probably the season one nativity one where Henry Lewis is Santa falling through the chimney. Oh yes, yeah, he did yeah. loads of that, and he's done some great gags in the show. But just that one, because there was a metal grade, he was, somebody was physically falling. So that was evolving into, we either use a paper uh, grate for the fireplace for him yeah. to land on, make him fall in a certain way and tone it down a little bit. Yeah. But then again, that's a Martin thing, the director of, no, it's a practical fire, we've seen it lit. Yeah, Because yeah. It, another gag was it burning some of the props or whatever. So if we've got that, it has to be a metal, because why would it suddenly squash under him when he lands? Yeah, so it's yeah. like, oh, and you've reached that crossroads where it's either or, it's either not going to be a lit fight and you lose that gag, yeah. and it's always just a prop with a bit of flickering paper so he can land on it. And in that instance, it's like, no, it's quite a funny intro where whatever it was, the stocking catches fire or something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that evolved to, so he had a stunt double just for that role. I remember that, because he comes in head first as yeah, well. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So it was just too too risky. And that was uh, Big Billy. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Billy's great. So, uh, yeah, Henry Lewis, ladies and gentlemen, has a stunt double, and his name's Billy, and he's Big huge Billy, and yeah. lovely. 
Yeah, so that yeah, that must be kind of strange actually for some things that you know with um you know the horror episode where he fl- goes down his hen again where he flies yeah. down the stairs. Did you obviously we just write that in a script, right? Because that's funny. But then is it your job to come in and go, okay, so how do we make how do we build that stunt and make it so because obviously hen is facing out and we see him the whole time yeah so are you reading that and just kind of piecing bits together who you need to contact or are you just kind of turning up and discussing it in the room so so another that's a good aspect actually of the show uh, that's and you don't get on every tv show is i'm brought in quite early mm. and while we're shooting one episode if we're on episode three i'm in meetings about episode four and five so for that, in, in that instance, I was working with Dennis, the, the uh, art director, um, in charge of building the sets and that kind of thing. So it's great in that we have some rehearsal space and I can be chatting on the phone, looking at diagrams and rigging methods. Mm. Uh, and then I can come and have a little look at that, test it with a stunt double. I think I tested that one myself. Yeah, um, just just testing it. Uh, it's all working. Or it's too quick. Or that will be terrifying. Which I thought, to be honest, <laughs> I took a ride on it and I thought it works, but that will be scary for it. Yeah. And also on that instance, there was quite a lot of energy when it got to the bottom of the stairs and threw him sideways through the wall. Yeah. So if he didn't project, he would land quite hard on the floor and sort of cartwheel through the set. So there was scope oh, wow. there for injury. So again, I had that trimmed down. I can pass the notes on, and then I turn up a week later, and everything's been changed. Like oftentimes. Quite excessively, you know, cutting scaffolding, rearranging a big build that's yeah. expensive and time consuming, but it's done and it all works, you know, effortlessly on the record day. And we can, yeah, we can achieve the thing that we set out to achieve. Yeah. 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 No, that's really good. I think we've been really lucky with a lot of people like yourself and the creatives on the show. I think what we try to do on the show is create an environment that it's actually probably less so for you, but certainly more for the other creatives. We try and create an environment where a lot of stuff that we're doing has never been done before it's like a new idea and people i think people really engage with that they're just yeah. like oh, okay this is weird it's a how challenge we, isn't it yeah how do we make that happen mm. and that's the fun part of it exactly yeah. the challenge um okay so i've got a couple more here let's have a look okay alex asks what's been the most fun and most dangerous stunt to work on could be on the goes wrong show or anything i'm not sure i'd put the most fun and the most dangerous okay, in the same answer good. this is good <laughs> oh gosh it's so difficult because Every job you do is so different. Um, I suppose, again, whether I'd say it's fun. So what, what happens is you do a stunt. You get excited when you're booked for a job. So as an example, I, I doubled an actor called Jim Caviezel in a film many years ago, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm. Uh, and I was young at the time, and it's like, we want to fly you out, Curtis, to Malta. We're going to be filming in Malta and Camino, all these underwater scenes. You're going to be doubling The Count of Monte Cristo himself. He escapes by being tied into a sack and thrown off this cliff. They think it's a body they're dumping, but he's hidden in this sack. So you're going to be doing that stunt. You're going to be diving for treasure, and it's like so exciting. Oh, if this wow, is what you've yeah. chose for a living, like, great, I can do that. And I'm going to be on the, it'll be me on the, the screen diving for the gold, his fortune. And then you get there, and it's very cold mm. and very, very scary. <laughs> so in that scene, it was a real cave in Camino. It's a scene where he dives for treasure. And they started off with a, it's called a pony bottle, a, a small uh, breathing cylinder that you can put in your mouth. Filmed from behind. So as I swam away from camera, down into a real cave. If you imagine like a U-bend in a sink. You started in a cave, and it was the shape of a human eye. Really lit beautifully. It looked amazing on screen. Yeah. You swim down into that, and as you get to the U-bend, that's where all the treasure was. And then if you swim up, 
there is that's the open sea the ocean lighting okay. it so it was an amazing location but it was it was probably without pulling it up it was probably the same as not much further than swimming the width of a swimming pool right but when you do that and it's cold water yeah and you've got a costume and I had a sticky beard stuck to my face <laughs> a wig really long wig stuck to my face yeah. rags as, as if I've been in you know in Chateau Duff the prison for, for many years so I start you run out of breath about halfway through so I'd have a little breathe on this oxygen cylinder and then they started seeing the bubbles so this is pre-CGI or just early days too expensive to take them out post yeah so it's do you think you can hold your breath that long and I thought not really I'll do my best can we have a diver on the ceiling of this cave and it's like well it's, you'd never get to him but all right if you give the signal that you're out of air okay he'll get to you so i had a mate of mine that had flown over anyway in the dive crew he was on the roof of the cave then they put an oxygen cylinder uh in the treasure chest so if i got went to the middle okay. treasure chest opened it there was an oxygen cylinder there uh, uh, tank for me to, to, to breathe like, on with your back to the camera like... oh, and playing the part and, and acting as the, the count oh, wow. and, okay. and that was scary so and on one of the takes one of the early takes got no mask on you used to swim you take it for granted that you've got a regulator in your mouth and, and a mask mm. and you can clear that and you can see well you've got none of that and you're trying to open your eyes and the sting and everything's a blur and on one of them, like the early takes, I swam and went off into a corridor in this cave. Well, you went the wrong way. Yeah, because just couldn't see anything. <laughs> I've got no mask, nothing. Oh, and I was working with uh, Sean, he's called, the, the guy recently. I hadn't seen him for a long time. And he says he will remember that to this dying day because he saw, he thought, where's he going? He saw me just venture off a little bit. You know, only like maybe eight feet off course, but now I'm in a different cave. Yeah. Uh, with the dead end, saw me get to the dead end, stop. Oh, it's made me feel And then I, uh, I just sat and I crossed my legs. Uh, uh, what are you doing? Because I, if I, <laughs> if I panicked, yeah. I would have died. So yeah, that's what you're taught. So you preserve your energy. You're almost out of air. Yeah. I knew I had divers there, and they all know what's going on. And I just sat cross legged. Felt like an eternity. It was probably 15 seconds before he got me and put. So you the... just stopped moving and start meditating. Yeah. And he says, I'll never forget that, of like swimming as fast as he could, waiting for me to breathe in seawater oh. while he got to me, you know. So, that is, that is nuts. <laughs> that is nuts that that happened to I you. I know, it's crazy. So your your man was in the in the roof of the cave. He yeah. saw you swim off. So he was like, I better get after him. Yeah, so, so he's watching the whole, you know, he's nervous as well. He's, he's yeah. holding the spare regulator in his other hand. Any problems, he's, he's going to be on me. He's got fins on, I haven't, which is why I'm swimming really slow and yeah. just pre-swimming. Rag and beard. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you can't see very well, so we put a, a red light in the background where, so that wouldn't happen again. We reset and had an underwater light placed off camera. You couldn't see it, but when I was underwater, I could look and in the murk see that light. And as long as I swam to the red light, that's where the treasure chest was. And every take, I would just get there in time and rip open the treasure chest and breathe and oh, wow. catch my breath. You know, So it's claustrophobic and scary. Yeah, but yeah achieving that was such a challenge and getting all that great footage and they just mm. left uh, on the finished film you get like a, a very much of a close-up of the actor starting that journey then it's all me swimming so they left it all wow, in so i haven't seen it i really want to see of that achievement yeah. oh well that was that really took me on a journey that one <laughs> oh god i think all the stuff i get just i think it's drowning isn't it and then just you'd be like, oh, if I, I'd have died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no middle ground there. Okay, so I think I've got us a bit excited and I think we've gone over time. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to jump straight to the quick fire section. So what I'm okay. going to do is I'm going to ask you a load of questions. They're just like really basic questions. Answer them as fast as you can. All right, go into oh, your meditating state. Here <laughs> we go. Uh, okay, so what is your favorite color? Purple. Texting or talking? 
texting. If you were an animal, which one would you be? Stag. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you were a dessert, what would you be? Um, oh, my gosh. Stick it off your pudding. Nice. Is a Jaffa cake a cake or a biscuit? Definitely a biscuit. Oh, nice. If you were one of the 52 playing cards, which one would you be? The uh, Nine of Hearts. Nine of Hearts. Wow. Uh, what's in your pockets right now? Money and credit cards. Nice. Taking those later. What is your favourite <laughs> film? Ooh. Oh, that's hard. That's a hard quick yeah. fire one. Um, oh, gosh. There's a thousand films flooded in my mind. What's uh, the first film that you just thought of? I thought Brave Out was the first one that popped nice. in. Nice. Okay. Were you in that? No. Oh, okay, good. Uh, um, what is the best age? 51. 51. Nice. And finally, who would be the best mischief person to be trapped on a desert island with? Oh, gosh. And no comment. Nice. <laughs> I said I'd try and get a no comment out of Curtis. <laughs> there you go, you've got it. I've done it. <laughs> Excellent. Curtis, thank you so much. I, I completely lost track of time because you have such amazing stories. So my apologies if this has gone on for more than an hour, but I've had a fantastic time interviewing you. Um, thank you so much for coming in. You, I, I do the outro now where I say you've been listening to me, Dave Hearn, but you know that. And this is our stunt coordinator for The Goes Wrong Show, Curtis Rivers. Uh, do keep an eye out for our next episode and you can follow all of the latest mischief stuff on all of our social accounts. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to... Uh, I'm going to look forward to hearing this back. This is going to be so <laughs> great. Thanks for listening, guys, and keep on making mischief. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.